Welcome to a very special edition of the show. This is the first part in a special series supporting National Spa Week here in the UK, which takes place from the 4th to the 11th of November 2019. Now, today we're talking all about the importance of looking after and looking out for your mental health and the mental health of your team at work. So let's stick that cassette in and get going. You're listening to The Beauty Business Podcast, now with over a quarter of a million downloads worldwide. This is the podcast for you if you run an independent beauty salon, skin clinic, or spa. I want to help you reach your business goals through simple, practical, and focused business information and advice. Now, if you're a regular listener of the show, then you might notice a slight difference in some of the episodes this week. You see, this week, The Beauty Business Podcast is supporting National Spa Week here in the UK. And this year, 2019, National Spa Week, run by the UK Spa Association is highlighting the importance of wellness in the workplace. And to celebrate this, every day this week, we are releasing a brand new episode of the show, focusing on a different aspect of workplace wellness, how it can affect you, how it can affect your business, and most importantly, what you should be doing about it. And who am I? Well, my name is Adam Chatterley, and I'm your host here on the show, but also the current chairman of the UK Spa Association. Now let's get into today's episode. Yes, today is part one or day one of a special series of Beauty Business Podcast episodes supporting National Spa Week and the topic of wellness in the workplace. Now, like I said in the introduction there, today's topic is mental health in the workplace. Now, I'm joined by an expert in the subject, Lee Fell from Caritas Neuro, and we get into why your mental health is so important to watch out for in the work environment, the consequences of not focusing on your mental health and just how easily it can be overlooked as well as the effect it can have on your performance, your physical health, and also the performance of the business itself. Plus, we also look at the ways that you can spot potential mental health issues in your team or amongst your colleagues early and easily before they become a big problem. Now, this is an issue that's becoming more and more widely recognized in today's world as it's affecting more and more people to one degree or another. And it's something that we should really all be talking more about so that it's not any more such a stigma or such a taboo topic. Now, the idea of these daily topics this week is to introduce these subjects to you or maybe just expand a little more about what you may already know or think you know to pique your interest. Now, if you'd like to know more about the topics themselves or if you'd just like to check out more information about National Spa Week and the other topics that we're covering and to get some additional resources, videos, articles and the such on each topic each day, just go to spa-uk.org forward slash spa week. That's www.spa-uk.org org forward slash spa week. Now, take a little time out of your morning or your afternoon or whenever in the day you're listening to this for my conversation all about mental health in the workplace with Lee Fell. Okay, so welcome to the show, Lee Fell. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us uh, here for this very special National Spa Week edition of the Beauty Business Podcast. So today we're talking about employee mental health. Um, what would be really handy, so we can kind of set the context, Lee, is could you explain, give us a bit of your kind of backstory, uh, who you are, what you've done and how you've come to be where you are and why kind of mental health and employee mental health is so important to you? Okay, so... My background is actually in clinical research. I've worked most of my career in the pharmaceutical industry, developing new drugs, testing them on people in, in real patients. And actually, most of my work has been in oncology. 
in cancer cancer trials okay. cancer drugs um so i'm a physiologist um by trade by training um mm-hmm. physiology sports science and nutrition so i studied at university and just ended up in in the clinical industry kind of by accident um, <laughs> but uh so it's obviously quite a high pressure industry. Um, mm. My background is I travel a lot. I travel to hospitals to kind of check that everybody's doing what they should be doing, basically. So I guess um, the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is because um, I went through a period myself of a kind of really deep depression. And I think it was through burnout. I didn't realize at the time that, that that's what it was. Um, but it, it was a really difficult period of my life. And since then, um, I, what, after coming out of that period um, and having learned to manage my own mindset, um, that's kind of set me on a new path down the neurology route and down mental health. So n- now I actually run a research company, Caritas Neurosolutions, that's entirely focused on research into the mind and the brain. So it could be Alzheimer's research, epilepsy, um, psychosis, but also it's a social enterprise style model. So um, using our pharmaceutical profits, we run studies for more academic projects and mindset for charities and public organisations. So um, more kind of emotional well-being type studies. Um, so that's where. See. Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, so, what I'd like to start with is is um, from an everyday point of view, because I think we're all aware of the more uh, kind of quote unquote traditional mental health issues, like you've said Alzheimer's and, and things like that. But in a sort of more everyday sense, what are we talking about when we say we say mental health in terms of you know we're hearing these stats, more and more people are suffering with with various forms of mental health. What are those kind of everyday things that we're talking about? Hmm. Well, first of all, I um, probably should clarify the difference between mental health and mental ill health. Um, sure. yeah. When we say the words mental health, everybody immediately associates that with things like depression, anxiety, uh, stress. But actually, you know, we've all got mental health and it could be good or it could be bad. It, it exists on a spectrum. and. Okay. It fluctuates all the time for all of us, depending uh, what happens in our life, you know, normal life stressors and things that challenge us. Um, mental ill health are your, your things like depression, um, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia. Um, and so I guess when I talk about sort of day-to-day mental health, it's more looking at the the general well-being Um mental well-being and emotional well-being that I, I think about day-to-day for, for people and to um, help people build resilience um, to, to manage the normal stressors of life. And we, we all go through ups and downs. So I guess that's what I'm normally focused on. But there, there are obviously the extremes on either side. And when it comes to... So when it comes to taking notice of this, obviously where we're the, the kind of the... The focus of our National Spa Week this week is is focusing all all sorts of different kinds of um, wellness in the workplace. So today we're talking about the mental health side of it. So when it comes to taking notice of this kind of thing, what's what's in it for the employee? What's in it for the employer when it comes to kind of being aware of people's mental health at work? Okay, so... 
for the employee, they're obvious, the obvious benefits are quality of life, really. Um, enjoying your life, managing to cope with stressful situations um, and enjoying your work, which um, some people might laugh at, but um, and being able to work efficiently and effectively. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you're in a state of crisis or just poor well-being in general, you're not able to work to the same um, ability that you could if you were feeling well, for example. So um, there are obvious benefits to the employee um, in terms of looking after your mental health. And actually, your mental health has a huge effect on your physical health. So now the the World Health Organization states that depression is Mm -hmm. the leading cause of disability in the world because it contributes to so many other illnesses. You know, it can can contribute to addictions, for example, or poor poor diet, poor exercise routine. Um, And so it's the leading cause of disability in the world. So um, the other thing is, I guess, that if you are in a constant state of stress and you constantly have stress hormones circulating around your body, like cortisol and adrenaline, that puts a real strain on your body. If it's prolonged exposure, those hormones are good for us in the short term um, Mm -hmm. to deal with stressful situations. But when it's prolonged, um, they can put real strain on your body. So it's not just about uh, your mental well-being. It's actually, it affects everything in your life, really, and it can affect your mental health at work, can affect your, your private life and, and vice versa. So in terms of the employer, then, it's it comes down to if, if there is, you know, like you said, the World Health Organization is now drawing this straight line between mental health and, and physical health. So if someone's under that kind of constant pressure at work and they're sort of able to manage it, but if it's actually affecting their physical health, you know, at some point that's going to mean that person is unable to work. Yeah. And that's going to have a direct, you know, bottom line effect on the business for the employer. Absolutely. Well, I read something this morning that it costs employers £35 billion a year in the UK, um, the mm-hmm. mental health on, on and that that's from reduced productivity and, um, you know, absenteeism, even actually presenteeism, is costing the UK economy more now than absenteeism, which so it's have it has an obvious effect on on your bottom line. It also means that um, employees are not working as efficiently for say for your clients. They're not producing, they're not performing, um, they're not producing the results. So um, a lot of employer there are a lot more employers who are um, focusing on mental health, and you know. Yeah. They're talking about it. They've got mental health first aiders in the office and um, they're telling people they should do mindfulness courses and things like that. But the impression I get from a lot of people I speak to is that it's kind of a tick box exercise. Yeah, that's that was going to be my question. Is it is it a bit of lip service? Is it a bit of, oh, well, we should we should do something about it because people are talking about it? Or is it a, yeah. is it a genuine understanding by employers that this is a this is going to actually help their business. Mm, I think there's still a long way to go. There are there are some organisations where there is an understanding, um, but it, it's still a long way to go before they realise the impact on the the, the bottom line for the business. And um, there are large organisations like Lloyd's, where their Lloyd's Bank CEO um, mm-hmm. he experienced it himself. I've just been reading about the last few days, he had time off with stress and he had to seek help himself. So he's made a big, um, he's had a big drive to support his staff. 
But whether that is um, sinking down to the sort of ground level, the, the front line, um, I'm not sure. I think there's still not a full understanding of, of the impact. And I think I think at work, a lot, a lot of people still don't recognise when they're suffering themselves. So I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, that's true. We'll come on to that in a second, but there's, there's just two things that I wanted to raise there. So presenteeism, you mentioned. What's yes. how does presente- What is that and how is that affecting okay, the bottom so, line? So being at work, but yeah. not working efficiently. <laughs> right, yeah. okay. That's You're what I thought it was, but I thought I'd just check. <laughs> um, so basically kind of carrying on, kind of soldiering on, going to work yeah. um, and struggling through, but just not being effective yeah. not being efficient and, and ultimately maybe making mistakes which again yeah. mistakes can cost exactly. the business money yeah okay and the other thing i want to mention that how interesting when it's someone at the top of a business has suffered in a particular way how quickly that changes their mindset and the, and the mindset of the whole business you know it's <laughs> i would never wish this on anyone but it's almost kind of like you, you almost want some some senior people to kind of experience these things themselves to to transform all of these organizations yeah i absolutely agree because i think um it's kind of sad to say but you don't fully understand it until you have experienced it and yeah. that's the reality and um yeah so and it's got to come from the top down. So the leaders of an organization and senior managers, they need to be setting an example. Absolutely. Good working practices. So, you know, I've been in situations where my senior directors were sending emails at one o'clock in the morning and things. Mm. And that puts pressure on the rest of the team that they should be doing that too if they want to do That's interesting. business. So I think that they've got a responsibility to set an example of good working practices and yes. they should be switching off their phones, switching off their emails at, you know, five o'clock or whatever um, and leading by example, I think. So again, leadership comes into this part. Of it. it's, it's really interesting throughout this whole week, all the things that I've been speaking to people about, leadership has been this this kind of web that's weaved through everything. And again, it comes into here. That's, that's really interesting as well. So you just mentioned there, you know, something about spotting the signs early um, of, of when you're at work and something we were talking about before was how, um, you know, whilst it should be on the employer to make sure, you know, there's a, a there's a theme of, of mental health running through the organization. It's often going to be your sort of same level colleagues that are going to be the, the closest ones who can keep an eye on you. So, you know, what are the sort of early signs? What things can you watch out for um, in your colleagues and I suppose in yourself as well, but but what things can you watch out for amongst your workforce to to see and spot early signs of potential mental health challenges? Yeah, yeah. no, it's definitely important that we spend more time with our colleagues probably than we do with anybody else, you know, yeah. possibly even more time than we spend with our families. So, um, and, and it can be fairly easy to spot, you know, um, thinking back to my own experience, you can see if somebody, well, I mentioned working hours a bit before. You can, you know, if one of your colleagues is working late every day for a, a prolonged period of time, um, but the signs tend to be changes in behaviour. So if people are kind of irritable um, or um, argumentative a lot of the time, and and especially if that is not in their normal character, so changes in their character like that. Um, if their eating habits change, if they're, you know smoking or drinking more than normal um and 
yeah, I guess I guess their their patterns of behavior. Look out for changes and look out for their mood. And and you can generally you can generally pick that up quite quickly if you if you're close to the people, if you work with them every day, you're going to spot signs like that. People quite often take take it probably in a in a bad way. You know, if somebody's being argumentative, you you can mm. you can take that the wrong way and become defensive, but actually it might be worth asking them what's wrong or you know yeah. there's there's something up it could be they've got things going on at home might just be yeah. but could be a combination of things but uh, asking the question is important yeah and and like you say so it's if someone suddenly becomes argumentative and they've not been like that before you know there's there's got to be something behind that so so there is there is that to think about is it different in fact because i was weirdly i was just hearing on the radio the other day and there's a, a campaign going i don't know whether it's it's just in my area or what but it's it's specifically aimed at men in the workplace and it's sort of saying you know men are, are always the ones and this is maybe hugely stereotyping but they're the ones who'll sort of ask are you okay and they'll sort of go oh yeah yeah i'm, I'm fine i'm fine and then it uh, it sort of said you know ask them a second time because usually that second time of asking is where you get the real answer and i was like that's really interesting because yeah i think as as a as a bloke I'd probably do something similar. Um, so is it different between men and women, do you think, um, um, in any way? I think in terms of the Ask Twice campaign, um, that's there, there are differences between men and women, but Ask Twice, I think you could apply to anyone. But yeah. that's an automatic response. We all go, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> when somebody asks you, how are you? You just say, fine, yeah. how are you? Very uh, British thing to do. <laughs> the, the Ask Twice campaign can apply to everyone and I think right. it, it is really an effective way of speaking to someone because people do then open up when you go oh, are you really okay mm-hmm. um, but in terms of men yes um, there's clear evidence that men uh, there you know suicides are 75% of suicides are in men for example wow. um, and most of those are in you know the more masculine type jobs as well um only a third of men seek help and right. most men that do seek help are prompted to do so by a woman which i think is quite interested yeah. interesting so um yeah it's it's kind of that culture that they've been brought up with i think younger men you know this the sort of millennial group or, or whatever they are are better at talking about these things because they've kind of been brought up um, being told that it's okay, mm-hmm. um, the highest risk group at the moment are men in their forties, really. So, and they oh gosh, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they just won't. They just won't talk about it. They won't yeah. accept help or go and seek help. So, yeah, it's, it is very important to to try and tap into that. So, keep an eye on your the people you work with. Watch out for any changes in any sort of patterns of behaviour that could be a trigger ask and then ask again. So if you are then concerned about someone um, and you think you've spotted some signs, what, um, you know, what are the things you can do to help those people in, in the workplace? Okay. So um, the first thing is obviously talking to them, find a, find a safe place, a nice quiet meeting room or coffee shop or something and ask them how they're mm-hmm. um, and listening, just listen without giving advice um this is kind of mental health first aid advice so the first thing you do is try and get them talking as much as possible um 
try and get them to go to a doctor as well and offer to go with them. Okay. Um, then in terms of how you would manage workload, you know, have a look at their, their workload, um, see if anything can be rearranged, try and um, see if you need a bit more support, a bit more uh, training, um, if you need to relocate them to a different piece of work, for example, or a different client. Um, and just, uh, yeah, generally, generally talk through, form, form a plan, an action plan. Mm -hmm. um, it could be, it could include things like looking out for their, what, what triggers them in terms of stress and um, what coping, coping mechanisms they can use at work. You might want to think about a different kind of routine for their breaks. Um, I read an example of someone who takes a lunch break over several breaks. So he takes like three. Three, like 20 minute breaks or something like that. Breaks, yeah. Yeah, instead okay. of one hour long lunch break. So that you're breaking up the working day, I suppose, into smaller chunks. Okay. And um, yeah, I guess looking at techniques like how you manage your emails and um, how you break down the workload into smaller pieces so that's not quite so overwhelming, um, things like that. So if you are, so let's say, because certainly in the, in the world of spas and things like that, you know, the, the closest people you're going to be to are, are the other therapists um, and, and the other members of the fitness team and stuff like that. So if it's if it's someone that's kind of at your level, so you're not their manager necessarily, it's someone at your level, you've maybe spotted a change in behavior. Is it always best to speak to the person first or should you raise it with a manager first? What What's kind of the best thing to do if it's, if you're concerned about someone personally, but it's in a work situation, should you raise it with them first and do those first things or is it uh, always a manager's job to kind of look at those things? Well, I suppose it depends how comfortable you feel talking about it. But I think it's really important to build a kind of trust with your colleagues and, and mm -hmm. you work beside. So um, I would recommend asking the question. And you, a lot of people worry that they wouldn't know what to say or they wouldn't yeah. know what advice to give. But the point is you don't need to give advice and actually quite often it's it's best not to give advice because that just puts more pressure on the person so all you're all you're doing is being a listening ear and um the most important thing with with mental health issues is to get a person talking yeah. and quite often they will talk themselves into their own solutions um I would probably say to the person in that conversation that you are thinking about speaking to the manager, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that you're being open about your, your thoughts on, on it. But yep. I recommend, obviously, that they speak to the manager themselves. Yep. And, and that's a scary thing in itself. Actually. It is, because just I suppose it's that, it's that kind of getting them to admit that there's a problem is, is the first step. Um, so, no, okay, so I like that. So, so talk to them first, be open, be honest. Don't try and give advice. Let them, let them just talk their way into things. I suppose make sure they do then do something with that, so they do seek yeah further up. help and, and stuff like that. Um, but I suppose at some levels it can be just having someone to talk to, having someone that knows about it could potentially just be enough of a of a, of a of an initial phase for for a lot of people if if you spot the signs early enough. I think so because a lot of people. Um, if you let them know that you've noticed and that you think they they have a men mental health 
struggles will not see illness. It might just, you know, it might be burnout or something. Mm-hmm. Um, just letting them know that sort almost gives them permission to admit to themselves that they are struggling. Yeah. So, um, and that can be one of the biggest barriers actually that you don't feel uh, able to admit it to yourself or you, yeah, you're, you're trying to almost hide it from yourself more than anyone yeah. else. So yeah. Given okay. Permission. And that's, that's, so that's my next question that was going to come on. So it's great if we can look out for everyone at work and all those kind of things. But, you know, is there a way to evaluate our own mental health? Is there anything we can do with sort of a, a sort of a, a bit of a mental checklist, if you like, that we can evaluate on ourselves every month or something just to make sure that we're not heading towards burnout or, or, or stress or, or anything like that? Yeah, I think being aware of what is normal for you um, is really important but sometimes it, it doesn't that awareness doesn't come until after you've actually recovered mm. from <laughs> that, that's what happened with me like the, the first time um, I was in a really bad place I had no idea really mm. um, so it was only when I recovered and I was in a really good place and I swore that I was never going to let myself feel like that again um, now I can see when I'm going downhill again and I can take some action and it could just be going out for a run or something like that mm-hmm. um now I can take some action so I think it's yeah it's about being aware of your own we kind of are aware of our own fitness levels and you know we'd go to the gym if we um, started feeling unfit so it's it's sort of in the same way we should be aware of our mental fitness level and and start to take action if, if we notice ourselves feeling it I guess if you're feeling down for an extended period of time and mm-hmm. um, things like an anxiety can manifest in, in physical symptoms so you know you might be having panic attacks and things like that um, right. and um, yeah if you notice your diet's changed or if you notice um, your yeah anything like that so it's being aware of what is normal for you um, and taking steps to, to change that but as I say it I didn't really recognize it in myself the first time around. And I think it's because I was working with cancer patients at the time. And obviously most of my patients were on medication for depression. Mm. And I thought, well, you can understand that because they've had a terminal diagnosis. They think it would be depressing. Um, And a lot of them actually filled in these depression questionnaires to monitor how they were doing emotionally. And I kept filling in these questionnaires. Um, well, I did it a few times, actually, just out of interest. And every time I did it, it came out as severely depressed. And I just thought, well, that's wow. I just thought, that's funny. I've got the same score as a depressed person. But I didn't think I was depressed. And, and I work in the medical industry. So, <laughs> um, you know, despite having all, all the classic symptoms. And yeah. I well, I think it was because I was comparing myself to mm-hmm. these people who had a reason to be depressed. And yeah. I kind of didn't feel like I had any rights, really, because there was nothing really wrong in my yeah. life. I didn't feel like I had a right to be depressed. And I think that's what stops a lot of people. And that's kind of the stigma that we talk about. Mm. Um, it prevents a lot of people. So. Yeah, I've, I've heard a few people say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy to be stressed or something like that. And it's like, well, you're probably the most at risk then. Um, so it sounds like then it's, it is, un- unless you've been in that place before um, or 
you know, experience someone being in, in, in a very dark place or struggling with mental health, it is very difficult to spot it in yourself the first time around. So it really is then it's, it's looking out for our work colleagues, removing that stigma of, of being able to talk about it and open up about your feelings. And if you are feeling low, you know, and, and so it is kind of easier to spot it in someone else in a way. I would say so. Um, hopefully, I mean, there is a lot more awareness now, so hopefully more and more people will think about it. But, um, you know, you still, you still come across a lot of people that are, are just really in denial about their own mental health. They'd be worried about someone else, but we kind of don't treat ourselves in the same way. The way we, we treat ourselves is, is, is quite, you know, if it, the things that we say to ourselves, really, we would never say to someone else. And I think um, it's just it's incredible that we don't look after ourselves the way we would look after someone else. <laughs> so. Keeping an eye on that internal voice. Yeah. OK, so Lee, thank you so much for for sharing that, for spending the time with us today. If people want to find out more about about what you do and what you were talking about earlier on, where's the best place to find out more information about you? OK, so. Probably my website would be the first place, um, www.caritasneuro.com. And we're on social media, so LinkedIn at Caritas Neuro um, and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as well. So <laughs> Amazing. We'll put all those in the show notes so people can just go and click on them. Lee, I love the work you're doing. I love the fact that when you mentioned earlier on, you're taking the, the kind of the, the clinical profits and, and kind of kind of almost sharing that with the with the work that you do with the the, the not-for-profit charities and things like that so that's amazing thank you again thank you for being on the show um and uh, have a, a fantastic rest of your day and thanks for being here thank you for having me have a good day cheers bye-bye Bye. there we go i hope our conversation there and the topics we discussed have really given you more of a feel for this important subject and maybe given you cause to go and look for a bit more information. Remember, if you or anyone you work with is struggling with mental health issues or you suspect that someone is struggling, the first thing to do is to talk about it. Keeping mental health issues quiet, ignoring them and hoping they'll just go away on their own isn't a good idea. So make sure you get help or you help someone else to seek out that help. The sooner we do, the sooner the healing starts. Now, right, I'll be back again with you tomorrow where we'll be talking about physical health at work, why this is such a, an important subject, especially in the beauty, spa and wellness industry. And I will again be joined by an expert with some amazing practical tips to take better care of yourself and that of your team from a physical health point of view at work. So I'll see you back here tomorrow. Bye for now. <laughs>